0: 2 Corinthians chapter 3 um, last week we uh, looked at the the passage that comes right before this and we talked about the triumphal procession what that was all about and really how um, how from Paul's perspective that he passes on to this church that we uh, just through the sovereignty of God uh, have in front of us to be a part of how he teaches us and guides us, um, from Paul's perspective, God uh, would lead him around, uh, like his life was about him being led uh, in triumphal procession, meaning like meaning that he was on display, as uh, like his life was a constant display of God's victory over himself. So being led in triumphal procession, just being like everywhere he went all the time, to think of it as God parading him around, showing off, and and, and just what a what a challenge that is for us, uh, and and kind of our landing point last week was was that our job is just to let him lead us in triumphal procession, like to let him uh, not not only just guide our lives um, in a. In an overarching sense, but also in a day-to-day sense, um, to uh, to let Him lead us and to let Him just parade us around and show us off. That you know, the, a lot of times, you know, the the misconceptions about God will say you know, will say God's like this, you know. But then God says, "No, no, no! I'm not like that. I'm like this. Look at the, look at this life. Let me parade this life in front of you and show you that I am that I am powerful." that I have the power to change any human life, that I'm gracious, that I'm merciful, that, uh, that uh, karma is not how I work, that I am the perfect father, that all the things we've been talking about in community group, that God is leading us around, is showing us off, and that is his, a procession of his triumph over us. Um, and how our job is just, just to let him do that, to be just obediently and joyfully led uh, each of our days. So chapter 3, uh, he, he kind of continues along the, the same deal. Uh, if you're here for the first time, we started at the beginning of this letter a couple weeks ago. And we're just going to go kind of a chunk at a time uh, all the way until Advent. And then we'll, we'll hit pause on that. We'll do Advent Conspiracy. We'll do all that stuff. And then who knows what we'll do in January. We'll figure it out. Um, so we'll start in, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. All right? Sometimes it's real clear what he's talking about, and sometimes like he just... I don't know. It's kind of a, like what? Um, so this is kind of like maybe in the middle. It's not completely vague, but it's also you know maybe not as crystal clear as you would hope. Um, he's, in, in verse one. He's talking about letters of recommendation. Um, there were uh, there were guys who were missionaries who were going out all the time into new places, starting churches. Paul was not the only person who was like planting churches and taking the gospel somewhere and living there for a while, and training up leaders, and getting the church ready to go, and then moving to another place. Uh, there were there were multiple people who were doing this. And all the ones who were going out were, if you were legit, like you were sent by, by the apostles from the church in Jerusalem. So there were uh, 11 apostles left, you know, and then they kind of added some, did some different stuff, or whatever. But these were the guys that Jesus, like himself, handed the church over to. Said, you're... You're in charge of this on earth. Um, and so um, what, what determined whether or not you were legit when you rolled into a new town is did you have a, literally a letter of recommendation from these apostles in Jerusalem or not? If you had one, then people were like, hey, you're the real deal. What do you, you want to do? If you didn't have one, um, then there were some questions there about your credentials and stuff. And sometimes people were forging them, you know, stuff like that. Uh, and so in Corinth... Um, you know, we've talked about some of the drama that was there, and after Paul left, other people came in. And they started questioning him, and one of the things they're questioning about is the fact that he was not, he didn't have a letter of recommendation from the apostles, like he wasn't one of the, the twelve. You know, um, and so uh, that was what was being brought into question. And so Paul is, um, I love Paul. I don't, I, mean, I don't know him personally, but uh, I love his writing. And I, I love the spirit of what he's getting at because I think I think he'd be funny. Like, I think he's just kind of sarcastic. Um, and so he's like, you know, asking this church that he lived with for a year and a half. They know him, um, you know. So he's already been there and gone, and they have seen the fruit of his ministry. They've, they've seen the anointing of God on him. They know his story. They, they know him. He's a part of their community. And this is what he says, again, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You know, I think he's kind of being like, um, okay, so now that I've already lived with you for all this time, have you seen all this stuff? You, you want to like produce a letter? You know, is that really what you want? Like, you're going to let these jokers come in here and question my credentials when, um, when you, you know me, you've seen me. And then he just turns it on him and he says, "Okay, you want a letter? Here you go." Verse two, you are our letter. Like your lives are our letter of recommendation. Um, if you want to see. Uh, our credentials, if you want to find out if, if you know, if I'm called, if my apostleship is, is legit if, and, and the people that were with him, um, you know, Timothy, uh, Titus, like some of these names you hear, there are people that were with Paul at different points in his ministry. Uh, if you want to hear, if, if you want to know if we're legit or not, um, just want just look at, at, look among you. Here's like the proof is in the pudding. You are the pudding. I think that's cool in a couple of ways. One, the dude is just confident in what God has done among them and confident enough to say, just look around you. I mean, what more do you really have to, what more do you need? It says, you are our letters of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. It says, look, I, I do have a letter of recommendation, and it's it's written in here. And it's you because I've lived with you and I've seen what God has done in your lives, and so all the proof that I need is is evident by what He's done among, done among us. So yeah, I got a letter. It's you, I think that's cool. I think I mean, what an encouraging thing, you know, for someone who who founded the church and was with you for a year and a half or whatever, for him to be able to say, "Hey, look, I don't." A letter of recommendation from the from like the apostles in Jerusalem and that'd be fine. But all I really need to do is just look at your lives and understand that that's how God validates who I am. I think that's tremendous. And then verse three it says, And you show you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the Living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts." The beginning of that verse, that you're a letter from Christ delivered by us like you are a letter from Jesus that we just delivered and that's that's a part of how he views his ministry it's like hey Jesus wanted to tell you some things so he wrote a letter and we just kind of brought we just kind of brought it to you like we're just the messengers that he entrusted with this letter it says, um, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. So the spirit of the living God. Okay, so God himself, all right, wrote through Jesus with the spirit, a letter to this church. So the whole Trinity is involved. And Paul is just like, hey, I just came to let you know this. I'm like, hands on the letter. It's from Jesus. He said yes to you. Remember that part? All the promises of God found their yes, in him. So Paul's like, look, as a minister, as as an, as an apostle, a church planner, a missionary, whatever you want to call him, I'm, just, I'm simply just delivering a message that God wanted to get to you. And you are the letter. Like, you are the proof. You are everything that is needed. Everything about you. And I'll be, like, super honest. I connect to these three verses a lot um, because, because of... I feel like what God has done among us is tremendous. I mean, I I meet people from time to time, and you know, every now and then, and uh, like, and they say I, they'll say like, I've heard of the ring, and I always make a joke like, oh, hope it's, you know, hope it's some good, you know, and they're always like, no, it's it's very good. Okay, that's really good. What'd you hear? You know, make sure it's it's all accurate, but. I think his perspective on ministry is like pretty, like pretty awesome because he's just like, "Hey, I'm I'm just bringing you the truth that Jesus wanted you to know. That the entire Trinity has has gotten together, put this letter together. And I just brought it to you. I have, really had nothing to do with it." Now, he, when he talks about it being written not on tablets of stone but on human hearts, that's what it says at the end of that verse. Uh, keep hang on to that. We're gonna come back to that in a minute. Okay. Look at look at verse four. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Um, back in verse 4, um, confidence, we're not sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us. Our sufficiency is from God, who's made us competent. Um, he is like He's just being so upfront. I mean, how many different ways can He say, "Like, hey, this ministry is not. It's not about like one of self-reliance. He's not like kicking the dirt, and being like, oh shucks, you know. Or it's not like that false humility where it's like it's like we're denying what God's done in us. He's just acknowledging the fact that look, um, it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with with us. Uh, you know, with his team of, of people that are with him. It has nothing to do with, with really anybody that's involved. It's in anything in us that's competent, uh, you know, all our sufficiency, everything that, that happens, it comes not from us. It just comes from God. And so in, the, in, the, in previous weeks, we looked at where he you know, he's like, who's sufficient for such things? I mean, who, who can really do this? And, and I think that, that that's something that we can all connect to a lot because when you start talking about, like, missional living, like joining God and what he's doing in, in the earth, uh, the Great Commission, I mean, however you want to phrase it. When you start thinking about that, um, immediately all your own like, struggles and faults and all these insecurities come up, and you're kind of like, there's no way that I, that I can do that. Maybe some of it is, is baggage. Uh, if you come from a, a church background where there was some sort of hierarchy created by the ministers in the church between them and everybody else, like they have a seminary degrees so and they know everything, or um, certain leaders in the church, whatever, if there's, like, this separation that you grew up in, then, of course, it's really difficult for you to, to see yourself in that. And you look at that and, like, well, that's ministers. Like, that's people that's people on staff. That's people with seminary degrees. That's people that, you know, are reverends who have been ordained, that kind of stuff. Uh, and that's totally, it's all false, but I understand how, how that would come. Uh, um, but if you didn't grow up and you don't have that kind of baggage, then maybe your baggage is, is more just your own, just kind of, like, uh, insecurities about how much you know, how much you've been through, how well you can articulate things. Um, you know, maybe it's those kind of insecurities. Maybe yours are more like fears of uh, like dialogue about spiritual things. And maybe because you like you put yourself out there one time and all of a sudden like you started getting bombarding, you got bombarded with questions about you know, what about when babies pass away, and what about you know Muslims who never hear you know a, a, like they never have a Bible and they grow up in Pakistan, and what about what happens to them, and what about the you know the uh, in the middle of the jungle in South America and they never get a Bible or a missionary, and what happens there, or, or or people that start firing these other questions, well, I mean the Bible was just written by a bunch of men, right, and and what about this happened in church history, what about the Crusades? You're like, oh, don't bring up the Crusades, you know, and and so there's all these things, and so your mind goes goes forward and what could happen, and every single road is just terrifying, and so you're like, all right that missional living deal, joining God in what he's doing. Uh, I'll help somebody move. Uh, somebody drops a tray at piccadilly, I'll help him pick it up. But, uh, you know, I'll help my neighbor cut his grass if he's sick. Or if somebody has a baby down the street, I'll bring him a casserole. But past that, like, it's, this missional thing, is going it has to stop there for me. Um, regardless of all the things that hold every one of us back, um, our competency in being ministers of a new covenant in living a missional life and fulfilling the great commission and joining God in what he's doing all those things um, none of that comes from us like if you see all those all those different things that hold you back and and, and they like make you pull back in that's because somewhere in there there is self-reliance floating around And it's when that self-reliance is shattered that you begin to put yourself out there a little bit more. And even if the conversation gets awkward, it doesn't really matter. Because God is empowering you, and he's calling you, and he's just calling you to be obedient, to be led in triumphal procession, to live missionally out there in the world. And and we're just called to do that, and to be faithful and obedient. And it's his job to like make whatever results need to happen, happen. So if you put yourself out there and then next thing you know, you're in a really awkward theological conversation that you know your way out of, um, God's not mad. You know, you didn't like let him down. You didn't drop the ball. You didn't like, you know, make a mockery of missional living. Uh, You were obedient. God's responsible for the outcome of that conversation. All he wants you to do is just take that step. Let him lead you into that conversation in triumphal procession, boasting in his victory over you and everything will be fine. And so Paul has this like, He's just like raging against that self reliance and just being very, very forthcoming about, hey, look, if there's anything about me that's competent, we've been made competent um, by God to be a minister of the new covenant. Look at that. Look at verse um, verse 6. He's made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Let's leave this verse up on the screen, and um, we're going to backtrack a little bit um, and kind of pick this, this verse apart. All right. So if you look at new covenant, that's a, a term that we kind of throw around maybe a little bit, a little bit too much without explaining it all the time. Um, let me just give you the most like broad stroke explanation that I can of new covenant, which means you have to under before you get new covenant, you have to get old covenant, and before you get old covenant, you have to get covenant. So, a covenant is, um, it's, the best way for me to know to explain it is, it's an agreement, but it's a relationally based agreement, okay? But if you go to buy a house, and you go, and you go to your closing, you sign all these contracts and all this kind of stuff, those are contracts, those are agreements, those are like formal deals that exchange, you know, goods and commodities and all that kind of stuff, whatever. Um, that's not a covenant. Uh, a covenant brings into that some sort of relational element, so when so marriage vows um, are like we call marriage a covenant relationship because uh, like it's not all just this legal stuff where you go and you sign this like they uh, husband and wife look at one another and they verbally commit in front of each other in front of God in front of all their bridesmaids and, and groomsmen and all the people that are sitting there they, they make this covenant agreement to live uh, a certain way together so that's what a, a covenant is our church, um, when you go through our membership process, which we have membership class Wednesday night, 630, it's going to be great. Um, when you go through that process, it basically, it comes down to membership covenant that we put together. So if you want to join this church, uh, we go, we walk through this covenant line by line, and we say, this is what it means to be a member of this church. This this is what we are verbally agreeing to, the, to one another and saying, this is how we're going to live together as a church. Um, and... And so, so covenant. Uh, you go back to God and, and Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham. Um, he said, uh, basically, I'm going to make you um, a father, and I'm going to make you the father of generations and generations and generations of people. Now, Abraham was old, and his wife was old, and they had no kids. And and so God was like, look, I'm making a covenant with you that this is how this is how we're going to relate to each other. Okay, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to do this. And you're going to trust me to do that. And so all of this, this whole covenant is going to be built around trust. All right? And so you have God, you have Abraham, and he, and he killed some animals because uh, covenants were always, um, like you you cut a covenant, like you cut the animal in half and he laid it out. And it's a really cool story. You should see it. Because there's always bloodshed with, with like a real biblical covenant. And basically, the, you kill the animal and you're saying, may this happen to me if I break this covenant. So that's covenant, right? So, um, so God starts off, makes this a relational deal with Abraham. Then uh, they can see they have Isaac, and then Jacob, and then like you know all down the line. And uh, next thing you know, if you leap forward, <clears throat> a ways um, you you have the children of Israel uh, gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai. Okay, um, they had grown into this nation, but then had been taken into slavery. God had gone in, you know, ten plagues. Uh, got him out, crossed the Red Sea, all Pharaoh's people died. Here they are at the base of the mountain. Alright, there's like a, literally like a million people. Alright, so going from Abraham and his wife to a million people. Alright, so that covenant that he made with Abraham had come true. Alright, so here's this, here they are in history, ready to go. Um, Moses has led them to this point. Moses goes up the mountain, he comes down with what? The 15 commandments. Like in the history of the world, and he dropped one. Remember that part? No. Mel Brooks comes down. He has three tablets, and he's like the 15 command. And he drops one. He's like the 10 commandments. Pretty funny. Anyway, um, so he comes down. and He has the, the 10 commandments. So, so the, you have the Abrahamic covenant, and now you have the Mosaic covenant. So, so here's here's where this is coming. This is where this is the old covenant right here. All right. God is there. He has a million people that He's brought into this nation, and and this is the relational agreement He is setting up with them. Um, it's basically summed up this way: He says, uh, "You will be my people, and I will be your God." That's the old covenant. You will be my people; I will be your God. If you look at the first five books of the Bible, um, there are all these all these laws that are set up and and all this this kind of stuff and and um, it's known as the Torah. And so the Torah was there, and it was the law that God gave. God graciously gifted this this nation, this covenant people, with with a with guidelines for how He wanted them to live. So when He says, "You will be My people; I will be your God," He then gave them the Torah to show what that looked like. You know, like it sounds really awesome, like that's a great statement. But you're like, what does that even mean? What does it look like? So He gives it to them. And It took a little while and all this kind of stuff, but it was basically um, describing what the covenant community of God was supposed to look like, um, and all the all the laws and all the like how the, all the sacrificial system and all this kind of stuff. Uh, he set all these things up. Um, if you take all that, um, that's a lot to process. I mean, if you've ever read the Bible from front to back and you made it through the first five books, I admire you greatly. Like, it's not exactly. You know, Lord of the Rings or whatever. Like, it's just like, it is what it is, and it's awesome, but it's it's some tough reading. So, all these, all the first five books of the Bible and all that stuff, um, summarized by the Ten Commandments. So, you might not be able to remember all this stuff, but you can remember these ten. So, it's you no know, other gods before me, no idols, um, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, honor your father and mother don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, uh, you know, all this, those kinds of things, a couple more. And, um, and so, so, but all those, what those do is they, they give a summary of what the, the covenant community of God is supposed to look like. Like, he's trying to create a community that looks like him. But they don't know what he looks like. So he's giving them the Torah and these commandments to be able to understand. Them. Now, Ten Commandments is one thing. Um, when Jesus was asked to sum up the law, he said, uh, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself." So, so love, right? Love God. Love people. Reflection of the Trinity. The covenant community of God is called to a covenant of love, right? First five books of the Bible, Ten Commandments, two commandments that are about love. Now, so so that's the old covenant. And it's funny because people are all down on the Old Covenant. Like, oh, that's Old Covenant. That's Old Covenant's about love. I mean, it's amazing. And so here's God, and he knows these people don't know how to love in a way that reflects who I am. So he gives them these guidelines, and he sets this structure up. And, I mean, even the, the worship guidelines and the tabernacle and stuff, uh, it's just all phenomenal because God knows something that these people don't know. And this is what it is, is that he is holy, and they are sinful. But they don't understand that, really. His holiness, their sinfulness. But God knows, so He sets up all this, this system because because since God is relational and this old covenant is a relational covenant of love, um, there's a problem because His people are separated from Him. So He's holy, perfect, pure, holy. If sin comes into His presence, it gets destroyed. Well, that kind of puts a hindrance on loving someone, right, if they come into your presence and they're destroyed. So God knows that this is a problem, but the people don't know that it's a problem. They don't know that they're separated by sin. They just know that this God has come in, rescued them, brought them to the base of this mountain, given them these ten guidelines that sum up all this stuff, and they're ultimately supposed to relate to each other and relate to him. So, you start the history of, uh, of Israel, and they're trying to, like, live this out, and they can't do it. And the law had several, it had a bunch of reasons, but one of the reasons, one of the the functions of the law was to show them the reality of the situation. Was to show them the reality of God's holiness, and their sinfulness, and this huge divide that was between them. But they didn't understand it, and we don't understand it either, you know, a lot of times. You know, like, if if you were to walk up to somebody on the street and be like, hey, uh, you're a sinner and you're going to hell, they're going to be like, so? I'm not a sinner. I've never killed anybody. I've never done this. They don't really see that there's a problem. And if you start saying, like, yeah, but look at the I mean, watch the news. Can't you see something's gone wrong? They're like, yeah, there's crazy people out there who do bad things, but I'm not one of them. See, but It's just our natural, like we understand something's gone wrong. We understand like, yeah, I got some issues, but... But we don't understand that that divide that happens. We don't understand holiness and sinfulness, and we don't we don't get that. And so God uses the law as like, like a giant mirror. He like thinking about those Ten Commandments as a, a big mirror that you look at. Okay, so so you've been you've been brought under this this covenant and saying like live like this, and they can't do it. Like they they try, but they can't do it. I've talked before how it's like, you know, like, like this. Like today is 10, 10, 10. And so, like, I sit here and like we talk about the number 10. We talk about it a lot. And I sit, tell you, okay, don't think about the number 10. Of course, all you can do is think about the number 10. Like, it's practically like appearing in front of your eyes. Like, you, you can't do that. So so God says, hey, don't murder. And you're like, all I want to do is kill somebody right now. <laughs> like, I have no idea. That was the weirdest thing ever. It <laughs> just happened, you know? It's like, don't steal. It's like, ah, uh, too late. <laughs> did it. I already did it. And so the Ten Commandments are like this big mirror, and so and so here you are, you're living under, under these, these commandments and these laws, and here's this mirror that's constantly showing you the reality of your situation. I was in a Bible study in college, and uh, I remember I don't remember much about my Bible studies in college because they weren't that good, but there was this one girl that was, she, she made this comment one time, and it stuck with me, she said that her mom had this, like her mom was like a cosmetics person, and she had this mirror, and this girl hated to use this, this one mirror because it was like a really good mirror, like it um, reflected well or something, but it had these, like, high-beam lights on it. Maybe some of you girls know what I'm talking about. Like, it was like like this right now, Or like, on your face. She said, I hate using that mirror because when I use that one, I see what I really look like. Like, I see what's really going on with me, and I hate it. She said, I want to, like, keep using, like, my you know, like, cruddy mirror in my bathroom where my lights don't really work because then, I'm you know, I don't really know the reality of what's going on. And see, that's the that's the Ten Commandments. That's the law. That's what's going on. Is God puts this puts this um, Torah law over them for a couple of reasons. One of them is to show you like, hey, there's a problem. There's a problem. So you look at their history, and they're like they're like super, super rebellious and sinful, and then they get really broken over it and they repent, and then they're obedient, and then they sin again. It's just this cycle of 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 going through the Old Testament. You're just like, what is wrong with these people? What's going on? And the whole time, it's because there's a mirror there. And he's like, see? You see? There's a problem. You see? You just have ten things you need to do, and you can't do them. See? There's a problem. So then enters the picture, uh, the the prophets. Like Jeremiah 31. We're going to throw these up there. Jeremiah 31, uh, verse 31 says, Behold... And I will write it on their hearts. Okay? He says, I'll put it within them. Moses is holding law written on these tablets. Like it's external. Written on stones. Like we talked about in those verses. He says, I'll, instead of putting it outside, I'm going to put it inside. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Alright? There's the covenant. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity... Will remember their sin no more. Like that's the new covenant. So here they are living under this old covenant. They, they like God's will has been revealed to them, but they, it's, there's no power there because they're separated from the power source. And now he starts foreshadowing. He's like, "Hey, I'm, I'm gonna make a new covenant, and this time it's gonna be the real deal." Then Ezekiel uh, 36 says, "I will sprinkle clean water on you; you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, from all your idols. I will cleanse you." and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The problem was a heart issue, but they didn't understand it. So the mirror was looking at their hearts. There's a problem with your heart. There's a problem with your heart. So you start talking about this new covenant. I'm going to take out that heart that's hard as stone because of sin. I'm going to take that out, and I'm going to put a new heart in you. And this is a heart of flesh. This is a heart um, that, that feels and beats and is alive. A stone heart is dead. A flesh heart is alive. I'll put my spirit in you, and then you'll be obedient. Like you'll walk in my commandments, you'll be obedient. And so that's the new covenant. See, the old covenant reveals God's will, God's desire for his covenant community. That's the relational side of it. But there's a missing piece, and it's that empowerment. It's that separation that's there. The new covenant, Jesus himself, he says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish the old covenant. I've come to fulfill it. Jesus is the missing piece. So we have uh, now we have not only God's will and God's plan and what a covenant community is supposed to look like, uh, love, uh, we now have the power to walk that out. So Jesus, like, all right, got a mirror in front of you. There comes a point where you realize, like, I'm the problem. The guy spoke at TNT in college. He made us all point at ourselves and say, you are the problem. You realize, like, I'm the problem. You look at that mirror and you realize that there's a heart of stone that is dead And you've been trying to please God, you've been trying to live in community, you've been trying to be obedient, you've been trying to do all that, and you can't do it because your heart is a heart of stone, as God describes it. And then you realize that Jesus is the one holding the mirror. And Jesus looks at you and says, hey, um, I can fix that. And you say, yes. That's the new covenant. Is the fulfillment of the old covenant. So Jesus looks at you and says, I can fix that. And you say, yes, please. And he removes your heart of stone, replaces it with a heart of flesh that he fills. And so his life is now dwelling in you, and that life that's in you now is, like, lived through your life. And so now you not only know what God's will is for his covenant community to love God and to love people, now you're not before you knew it but you couldn't accomplish it because you were separated from the power source now you're brought near to God by the blood of Christ and now you are empowered to go back and to live out the old covenant statutes so in the new covenant it all it just all comes together so perfectly that's that's what the gospel is Yes, heaven and hell are part of that. Yes, there is wrath, there's sin, there's all these, there's all these kinds of things to bring into it. But from my perspective, I mean, if everybody could hear like the gospel as presented by the like the entirety of Scripture, I don't see how anybody can be like, no, I don't. That's that's totally false. I don't get that because the new covenant answers that question of why. Why do I need a Savior? Why do I need a Redeemer? It's like, well, because he's on the mirror in front of me. So that's the New Covenant. It's the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. And what's cool about the New Covenant is, like, you're basically talking about Jesus. Like, at the Lord's Supper, he said, uh, this, he, like, had the cup, he said, this is the New Covenant in my blood. Like, this is the New Covenant in my blood. This is happening right now. And Jesus fulfills, like, all parts of the covenant. He represents God, because he's fully God. He represents man, because he's fully man. Hypostatic union, summer community group. And he was the, like, his blood was the blood that was shed as the sacrifice, like when the animal was cut back with Abraham. So really, the new covenant is Jesus. So when we say ministers of the new covenant, we're basically just talking about Jesus. So, go back to 2 Corinthians. Verse 6. Our spirit is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Okay? For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter, meaning the letter of the law. The reason why the letter of the law, the reason why it kills is because it shows you God's will but gives you no power to walk it out. Like it is, a, it is a death sentence. It shows you in the mirror the state of your heart, but you can't do anything about it. The New Covenant, written by the Spirit, is when Jesus says, I can fix that. So he says, so we're, here, we're here to minister life. Now that word minister, um, of course, naturally in our culture, you go to ordained people or pastor-type people. Or elders, or people with titles, or whatever. That word uh, comes from. It actually means servant. It's the same word that like deacon, all that kind of stuff. They're all kind of rooted together. Um, So I was really thinking about that. Like, what does it mean to be a servant of the new covenant? A servant of of Jesus. Okay. Um, And so I thought about it in two ways. One, uh, like you're like literally like a servant of Jesus. You know, like like it says at the end of, of chapter two, you've been commissioned by God. Men of sincerity, who've been commissioned by God. Like, Jesus is the sender, you know, and we are serving him. So we're ministers, servants of the New Covenant in that sense. Um, but I also, and this, I mean, I'm not a Greek scholar or anything, so this might be incorrect. So if you are a Greek scholar and you want to correct me, please do so gently. Um, but I also thought about, like, if you if you think servant, like a server, like a waiter, and that's where deacon really comes from, um, is, like, someone who serves food, um, they're serving the customer, yes, but they're like literally like serving food, you know, like that's what's being served. But like the person's being served, like Jesus is being served, but then the food is being served too. And so if we think we're servants of the new covenant, it's really, it's like we're like, um, like here is, like here's the new covenant, like here is, here's Jesus. I think it's tied into the fact that he said, um, Jesus has written a letter and we're the ones who brought it. And I think that's what missional life is. It's that the people in your life, the people that you work with, live with, all the things we talk about all the time. Those people, um, they have a message that they need—they need to hear, that they need to receive. And so, like, it is literally like your life is supposed to be one like being led in triumphal procession, like we talked about, letting Him show off. But the continuation of that is like when you're given the letter. From Jesus to them about how valuable they are and about the new covenant, and you're the one who gets to go and to like literally like offer it to them as commissioned by God, as empowered by God, as equipped by God to go and to do that. That's crazy to me. I mean, it is just insane to me that He trusts us with with a letter like that, you know. And so. That is, that's the church. Like a bunch of letter carriers, a bunch of waiters who are like serving Jesus, both in the sense that we are commissioned, being commissioned by him, but we, we hand that out to people. And that's what our tomorrow should look like. That's what our tonight, when you go, we go to eat or you go home or whatever, that needs what it needs to look like. It's not just people that you work with or just your waiters and stuff. People at Walmart. I mean, it's the people that you live with. It's the people that you spend the most time with. You probably spend the most time with the people that you live with and the people that you work with. And those people need letters about truth. And so that's the that's the challenge. I mean, that's where where Paul's going It's like, hey, God's made us competent. And I think when he says us, it's not just saying like, hey, me me and my buddies. I think he's saying us as children of God. Competent, sent. So, what are, we, what are we going to do with that? I don't. I don't know. I don't know what you're going to do with it. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Um, I know this. Um, we're always looking for ways to make, like, to be consistent with what we feel like we're called to do in that missional sense. And so, a um, couple weeks, uh, Halloween is on a Sunday. And so the elders talked the other night, like, well, all right, well, you know, what do we want to do about that? And uh, here's, what, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to move church up that day, but this is why. Um, there isn't another time of the year when people come out of their homes and walk to other people's homes um, and walk to your home. Um, then, then how? I mean, that's it's the most, like, culturally, trend, like, culturally whatever, missional opportunity that you have. No other time will you, can you sit on your porch with a bucket of candy and all your neighbors will walk up. Ever. You can try it. <laughs> it probably won't happen. And so we're not necessarily saying, like, okay, we're going to make this into, like, we're going to give out tracts and we're going to witness everybody. I mean, you need to be obedient to whatever God has for you. We're going to move church up that day to give you an opportunity to be missional where you live. Now, I know some of you live in places where that doesn't happen, um, and we're going to encourage you to go somewhere where it does happen within your community group with friends of yours. If nobody, if you live in an apartment, nobody trick or treats in an apartment. You have some a friend that has a house. Go to their house, help them be missional. Sit there on the porch with them and welcome the kids and make a big deal about how awesome they look and meet the meet their like parents and people that are with them, and help them connect. Um, but that's why we're going to do it. Now, some people are going to think that we're selling out and you know all this kind of stuff or whatever, and some people are going to think we're like giving in to pagan whatevers, and that's a bunch of bull. And so you can say that you heard it from me, that this is connected to these passages of scriptures and what we believe the New Testament church is supposed to do, and we're being culturally aware of the opportunity that is there before us. Um, I don't think that we should be weird on that night. You know, like, I don't think that we should be the ones, you know, like, giving out fruit <laughs> and a tract and being like, you know, that cane will rot your teeth and it'll probably send you to help, you know, read this track. <laughs> um, what I am saying is, uh, is, I mean, you don't have to give out, like, devil suckers either, you know. Like, it's a, it's a conversation time. I have people all down my street that I've never met. And they don't wave, and they don't whatever. But Halloween, I have orange lights in my yard, and they come from way down to come to those orange lights. And so it's an opportunity to meet them or whatever. Um, but that's an ex- example of how we're trying as a church to be consistent with what we believe we're supposed to do. How does that make a difference for your tonight and your tomorrow? I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. Uh, so here's what's going to happen. Uh tell you what, stand up. The band's going to come up. Um, we're gonna sing real quick. We're gonna sing one song, and uh, like I said a couple weeks ago, um, I think that I think that singing songs after you know it's it's our response to like that. I I think it helps kick some dirt on top of whatever God's done. Um, but the song we're gonna sing is like you can probably guess what it is. Uh, I think it is a song about driving into the world like that on purpose. Um, and so we're going to sing that, and, and I hope that we sing it as a prayer that God forms this in, it, in us and shapes this in us and, and really makes this real for us. And then we're going to we're going to um, hear from uh, a friend of ours who's about to go and be missional in another part of the world, and we're going to pray for her and send her to be awesome. So uh, let's just really cherish our last couple minutes together. Let me pray for us real quick. Um, Father, you've uh, you've trusted us with um, with this new covenant. Pray God that we just learn to be faithful every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. the.